Welcome to Kansas Rural Center Prisons, the Kansas Rural Center's podcast on farming, agriculture, policy, civic engagement, and much more happening in the Sunflower State. I'm your host, Charlotte French-Allen, the Communications Coordinator here at KRC. In this podcast episode, we're discussing the Central Topeka Grocery Oasis and the genesis of Arkenberg Farms. Co-hosting this episode with me is farmer, sustainability advocate, and program coordinator at KRC, Jackie Keller. And joining us today is Keith and Brianna Arkenberg. We had a pretty good conversation going before we actually started recording. So let's kind of circle back on that. Um, I didn't realize you you are both from Topeka. Is that true or no? Well, I'm born and raised in Topeka. Okay. Um, my husband is born and raised in Tecumseh. Okay. Um, he moved out of Tecumseh while he was in college. Mm-hmm. And then we both moved back. We, he built a house out on the farm and gotcha. lived in there. Cool. Okay. So. Very good. And then, um, so I was kind of explaining with our podcast, Kansas Rural Center Presents, we have different subjects that we kind of focus in on. So our first season, you could call it, was on soil health and the farm bill. We have six episodes on that. And then with Jackie's projects, um, she's focusing on sunflower stories and highlighting different communities and their food systems around the state. So uh, with the Central Topeka Grocery Oasis, that's kind of where we've, I guess, run into you guys and then wanted to talk a little bit about how you're feeding the community. Um, And so I guess on that, what we found out with the conversation we were having before is that you actually grew up in the area that Central Topeka Grocery Oasis covers. And so yes, so if you guys want to talk a little bit more about that, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, I grew up and um, I would say probably off and on about 30 years of my life lived in Central Topeka. Um, and the, the local grocery store that was in the neighborhood um, closed down, what, maybe five? 16. 2016 and uh, yeah it was just kind of devastating you know I at that time I'd already moved out of the city but I knew how important that grocery store was Mm -hmm. to the community you know it was it was a real heartbreak to see it go because I knew uh, you know probably 75 80 percent of their sales were through like food stamps and WIC vouchers and low-income houses and you know with that grocery store gone it's there's really nowhere within walking distance for them to to go they have to spend more money that they don't have to you know get public transportation or something and find some place else to get their food so it was really devastating you know it's like I went to that grocery store growing up every week for probably you know 15 years of my life Mm -hmm. you know we knew the guy that was in the the meat department you know and you know, they were, oh, hey, how are you doing? You know, so it was, it was like, you know, your local grocery store, you know, local community. And to see that go was really sad, you know. And yeah. Go ahead, Jackie. You went to Robinson Middle School as well while growing up, where we just had the, the big event. Yes. Featuring your produce. Yes. <laughs> yes, I actually grew up um, about a block from there. So, um yeah. So we introduced to over 100 people your 
I'm going to say this incorrectly, jicama turnips. Hakurai turnips. Hakurai turnips. Yes. Sliced up with hummus and your greens mixed with kale. And everyone, over 100 people took a sampling. Everyone had um, your greens on their plate and tried the the turnips with the hummus and got really good feedback. So it was really exciting to... um, to incorporate a local producer, local farmers into that event. Mm -hmm. And the Central Topeka Oasis board members that were volunteering for that were just super, um, very, very (coughs) excited to have that and really, really pleased with the outcome. Good, yeah, I'm glad. So Jackie, what's the goal of the Central Topeka Grocery Oasis? The ultimate goal is to get a grocery store Uh, They're going to have to build it from scratch on the corner lot that Grace Med owns. And so they're in negotiation on leasing that property, um, getting financing to get an independent grocer at that location to service 13,000 residents. And about 30 plus percent of those are um, BIPOC or low-income minorities. So people that need to be serviced. Yeah. Yeah. So what they were really excited about, to go back to my earlier comments, is exposure to local food. And ultimately, you may be even vending there one day a week, you know, out on the outside, right outside the store. Yeah, that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, is, so is that kind of the goal? It's not just to have a grocery store, but it's to incorporate healthy local foods? Yes, exactly. Okay. Right, good point, Charlotte. Healthy food access for all <coughs> down there. And they do. They have done um, feasibility studies, market studies. They've gotten grant money to prove that they can make a profit at that location. And the Washburn Business Department has done a PowerPoint presentation that they presented to city um, councilmen. And, that, and those slides have healthy food incorporated into. So that is definitely, a, there's a big push. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Food. I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, for sure. So what got you out of the Central Topeka area to the farm. I'm sure this is like a, could be a very large or very small story, however you guys want to tell it. Um, I can take that pretty much. Okay. Um, As soon as I found out that we were having a child, we were Mm -hmm. actually living uh, right off of 10th and Mulvane at the time, before we moved over to 16th and Lincoln, which is right down the street from the grocery store. Which was the house I grew up in. Yeah. As soon as I figured that out, I immediately started planning on how to get you know, back out to the land that I grew up on. Mm-hmm. So immediately I started planning plans to build a house and how I was going to do it and where I was going to do it. And basically just evolved from there. Let's see, started building in 2014. So that would have been three, four years afterwards. Mm-hmm. So that's when I really kicked in. And Did you know that you wanted to farm or at that point, did you just want to return to the land? No, at that point it was just to get back out to the land, out to okay. the neighborhood, get back in the you know the environment I grew up in. That that was the main goal mm-hmm. of actually moving out there. You know, I've always had a 
not a large garden, but I've always had a garden pretty much everywhere I lived. Mm -hmm. So I did plan a garden area to start with, and it really just devolved after that. Yeah, he started um, after we moved out to the land, because um, it was still being farmed conventionally by a farmer. Um, and so anytime they would come out and spray or do anything on the land, we would have to be careful to not have our windows open, not go outside. Mm -hmm. um, you know, our son has... Um, uh, a lot of breathing issues and he's got a lot of allergies and stuff and so um, anytime that the dust would kick up or anything like that we'd have to make sure that he was not going to be in it and so um, shortly after you know moving out there we realized that you know we should do something with the land mm -hmm. and not let somebody else make money off of it and cause us harm in the long run and so um, and I think my husband had always kind of wanted to build a house out there, um, you know, because he, he grew up out there playing out in the field and stuff. And he's mm -hmm. like, you know, I just want to be back out on the field. Yeah, yeah. We, we actually tried to buy the house, uh, two houses up from that previous to me actually starting. That was like last chance. We're either going to get this house because it uh, went back to the land. So it, mm -hmm. it actually abutted to it. And after that didn't go through, I was like, well, I guess I'm breaking ground here in a couple weeks. Yeah, I and guess you're about to have a neighbor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so how long did that take to get your house up on the, on the piece of ground? Um, it took about a year and a half to build. I did okay. all the construction primarily myself. You know, I had to have the septic tank put in, of course, mm -hmm. and the gas line, the wire line brought up, but had a hole dug in poured the footings, foundations, built block walls up, and then framed it and did all the finish work. Wow. Yeah, so. and he'd do it mainly on the weekends mm -hmm. and just kind of like here and there, you know, every paycheck he'd get, he'd dedicate some of it to the building supplies and, you know, nights and weekends. And if there was something that required more than just him, then mm -hmm. he'd buy some food and some beer and call his friends. Yeah, so you seem like a don't tell me I can't do something Oh yeah, no. I, I grew up in the construction <laughs> you'll, you'll business. You'll do it like yeah. twice as well, twice mm -hmm. as fast. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Everything that's really we neat. have is custom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember hearing that you made your uh, your own hay baler. Yeah, yeah, I've got a little oh, box Lord. baler. It, it it makes a little, or about one foot by one foot by about two foot long. It's basically a box with a, like a door on the front and then a plunger. You load it up from the top and mm -hmm. then you take the plunger and you squish it down and you just keep doing that till you get it to where it won't squish anymore. And you lock it, and there's spots where you can put your twine through and actually wrap it around and tie it off. That's like one of the projects I need to start actually getting together for, because uh, I'm doing the Mother of News Fair presentations, mm -hmm. and one of them's going to be farm tools. And I've got to split it off from the one I have now with the market gardening because it's gotten too big. Yeah. So I need to start bringing some of that other stuff in too. But That'll be so cool. Yeah. People yeah, are going to love yeah, that. That's fun. It, it, it works good. You have to use a scythe and cut your hay by hand, which mm -hmm. is you know, it's just another chore, but you have to have the longer stuff because if you just take yard clippings, it just falls apart. It's, it's too okay. small. He's definitely very um, handy, handy and uh, <laughs> thrifty with all of his builds. Well, innovative. Yes. <laughs> so you, you moved out there, you had your garden, and then when did you realize this is going to be my business or a business maybe? Did you realize you wanted to do it full time right from inception of your garden out there or did it kind of what happened there um 
where the story comes down to was the Mother of the News Fair in 2015. I made mm-hmm. the mistake of going to it. <laughs> um, they had two of the biggest names there, uh, J.M. Fortier, which is a guy about my age, and yeah. uh, Elliot Coleman, which is basically the godfather of market gardening. Mm-hmm. And I watched both of them, um, literally came home Saturday after the fair and took the area I had set out with the garden. I already had a fence on it and I had a couple of raised beds in it and that's it. And I went out there and tilled it that night. Mm -hmm. And that kind of got me going on it because that was in the fall. And the next year just kind of grew food for the family. And I don't know how it actually (laughs) morphed into what it's become more than... Well, in, in that time that he had started the tilling and the little garden for us... He had been watching Elliot Coleman and J.M. Fortier and reading their books on, you know, and watching YouTube videos and stuff. And, I mean, he was, every spare moment that he had, he was watching or reading something about gardening. Yeah. And by yeah, the- no, it was actually uh, found Curtis Stone on YouTube. Okay. And he's the one that really, through YouTube, popularized market gardening, doing greens, which would be your fresh vegetable or your fresh, uh, your fresh lettuces, uh, red Russian kale mustard green mixes, quick crops, radishes, things like that, to where you could use a small space, go really intensive with your planting, get a really heavy yield off of them, and then they're in and out of the garden within 30 days. So you can just keep cycling Mm -hmm. and use the same plot of land essentially. Like I think we've gotten up to five times per season on a single bed because we rotate so frequently in some of our areas. Mm -hmm. So that is the equivalent of, you know, like a modern farmer now, they go one crop, one area. Yeah. So if I can take the one plot of land and use it five times, I essentially have the equivalent of five times as much land. Right. And Curtis Stone ha- does backyard gardening. Is that right? He doesn't yes. have like a big yeah, he, of land. Yeah. He rents a lot of people's like backyards, front yards, mm-hmm. things like that in city limits. And so it's urban gardening. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's where the basis of the farm actually started was doing the small areas, mm-hmm. even though we have eight and a half acres of farmable land out there we've never touched the majority of it. Right now, I've, I've got some of it covered with grass, some of it with annual rye. I've got two acre blocks I try to plant in, and we also cover crop and do sunflower fields and other things out there. So it mm-hmm. gives me the optionality of we can scale any level we want to, but I can always just bring it back, kind of like we're doing this year, just bring it back to the market garden area, which mm-hmm. is quite literally the equivalent of probably three inner city lots, not, not like the, inner inner city but more of the, the outer part of the city where they've got the little bit bigger lots but i mean it's not much land at all when yeah. you really come down to it what we really produce off of is honestly next to nothing people laugh at me when i tell how many acres or like parts of use. acres yeah. i actually use yeah, yeah what is the the number now of if you count the walk paths and the post harvest building and all the greenhouses and all the area around it and the tool sheds it's an acre and a half so just for my curiosity, have you penciled out like what the difference is between like that acre and a half monocropped versus or like your full acreage cropped how it was before you moved out there to how you're doing now? Like, is your income do you feel like more with how you're doing it? Or oh yeah, yeah, oh, definitely. Um, I think a lot of people have trouble getting their head around that. So dumb it down as much as you want. And well, I'd love to hear that. So before we started farming, before we put the house out there that's what like a eight eight and a half acre yeah it's eight and a half acres of farm bull out there and then we took what maybe half an acre for mm-hmm. the f- house and drive and yard and then um you know before when we were 
before we were farming and there was a farmer on there, we would just get, you know, a rental check from him basically, mm-hmm. which was. It was $450 a year for eight and a half acres of monocrop corn or soybeans, but it was land lease yeah, or rent or I don't, it was not sharecropping. So we weren't getting a, a portion of the crop that came off there. Mm-hmm. It, um, gave me and my brothers a hundred dollars each and it paid for the taxes on the field. And that's all it was. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it didn't lose money, yeah. but it really didn't make money. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I can see where the rub was then with, uh, like the overspraying and that sort mm-hmm. of deal, because you're not necessarily getting paid to endure the health risk of renting right. the land. So you're expanding on your, your garden. It's be- and I imagine, did you kind of like just start growing more than what you wanted to use and so started finding i feel like that's like the the gateway right to to selling more stuff you've like you did 40 tomato plants for some reason and then you need to sell them or something like that this is from my own experience (laughs) (laughs) so it's actually kind of a funny story um so he had been researching and doing all this reading and and research uh, about it and one uh Christmas, it was Christmas season, and um, the three of us, my, uh, uh, Keith and I and our son, had gotten influenza A, and like really bad. And so, you know, it was kind of, you know, full of NyQuil, and he <laughs> hands me a book, a JM's book, and says, here, read this. I think we should do this. So I read the first 20 pages. I said, okay, yep. And then after, you know, kind of the the NyQuil wears off, I'm like, oh, what did I get into? <laughs> it's like, well, if you grow it, I'll sell it. And the, and there you are. So yeah. so where all are you selling things? Or I guess, how did it start? Let's do that. So, um, what, that first year, which was uh, 2018. So that first year, 2018, okay. I had, um, after we decided to start the business, I had taken a... Um, a business class um, that was through the city of Topeka. They offered a small business development class. And so I had taken that. And one of the things, one of the incentives that they offered was um, a year of stall fees at the farmer's market, at the downtown Topeka farmer's market. Okay. I was like, oh, well, that's really cool. Perfect. And um, there was also some other um, incentives um that we did take advantage of, like a, a marketing incentive, marketing advertising and stuff like that. And so um, so there was there was a lot of help, you know, you just had to find it. Um, and so that first year, I think I had gone to maybe the second or third market and vended just to kind of see if I could actually do it and did pretty well. And so became a permanent vendor and um, had them pay for the rest of the of the stall fees and um, after that first season at the market you know it was kind of like yeah we can we can really do this you know we can we -hmm. can provide this really yummy food that's good for you and you know make money off of it so that's kind of where that started okay and then um, I sometimes buy from the Topeka Growers Group, so you guys got involved with with that. But were you? Do you do other CSAs? I guess where 
Where have you grown from the farmer's market? Yeah, I'm stall? curious how the CSA, how you got going with that. Um, so I think we originally didn't have a CSA the first couple of years. Um, and then, you know, in the off season, brainstorming and you get a little carried away. We decided to do, instead of like a CSA, to do like a CSA savings card where, um, back up a little bit. A CSA basically is a way for farms to get income at the beginning of the season because a lot of our cost is at the front of the season. So, you know, your seeds, your compost, your fertilizer, all that stuff needs to be bought well in advance of when you're going to make money off of it. I just want to um, stop you. Some of our listeners might not know CSA. So that does stand for Community Supported Agriculture. Yeah. So it's basically a way for um, for customers to invest in their local farm um, and kind of reap the rewards of the harvest. So, you know, if it's a great bountiful year, you'll get extra stuff. If it's kind of a difficult year, it might be a little lean, but you are basically buying into the farm. You're seeing something that you want in your community. Yeah, you're helping the farm and then the farm is in turn helping you. Um, and so it's a, it's a great relationship to start with, with customers. Um, but we weren't, un, we weren't sure if we actually had the, the customer base to support that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we decided to do uh, what we call a CSA savings card. So it was, you know, you get, what was it, like maybe 50 cents off each item, basically. It was a prepaid card, punch card, and you had so many punches on the card. And so, you know, we would get the money ahead of time, you get the card, and then you just kind of pick up stuff and we punch it off as you go. Um, that worked pretty well. Um, and so we decided, I think the season after that, to start a traditional CSA, which is, you know, a certain amount of items you pay up front at the beginning of the season, for your share is what it's called. And then each week for a set amount of weeks, you get a set amount of items and they vary based on what is growing that that week. And so we kind of did that. We had, I think maybe 10 people our first year. Yeah, the first season we had 10. 10 CSA members. Um, and since then we've gotten about, how many did we have last year? Uh, last year we had uh, 10 full share and then 10 half share. And that's where I just capped it. I said, I don't, that's enough responsibility right mm-hmm. there. We have to also provide for the farmer's market and uh, the other places we are working with. We've, we're working with restaurants a little bit more. We've kind of slid away from that. It's uh, not that easy. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. They're, they're very unpredictable. Sure. Yeah. And, um, then, and then this year, we're actually moving to a uh, different kind of CSA model where it's going to be a you choose CSA. So they'll still have the option of, you know, farmer's choice and we'll put whatever is the seasonal available. But the biggest turnoff I found with the uh, doing a CSA is number one, the amount of food people get, they over or they underestimate how much actual food you get. If you're getting mm-hmm. seven to eight items a week and you get it every week and it's just two of you, if you don't eat vegetables for every single meal, you're going to start to build up real quick. And there's nothing that more that people hate around here than wasting food. Right. Like I, I actually did this with my mom and uh, her husband is 
I took them a share, full share, every week this whole entire season. And by the end of it, they're like, I'm glad this is over. (laughs) (laughs) So this year we're doing it more. We're moving it back to there's four items per week. And you can go on the website and choose them. And that way, you know, if you want four bags of lettuce, you can just get four bags of lettuce. Okay. And there's also a lot of things that people just, they don't, don't like. I mean, some of the, like radishes, people either love them or hate them. Mm-hmm. The one great thing about the market gardening style and technique is you can scale to any scale you want before the season. Once you get going, mm-hmm. you can't change very easily. You're, you know, you're a good 60 to 100 days out before your changes will be seen. But if we scale now, we know what we're going to end up like. And with the labor issues, I don't believe we'll probably be scaling up that high this year. Because yeah. I mean, I, I had acre blocks that we were going to plant and just single crops to sell as organic to go straight to wholesale. And if I can't have the labor to run the market garden, farmer market side and CSA side, then there's no way I'm planting out an acre. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I know what will happen is uh, I'll be the only one out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so how are you finding help or, I mean, how were you before everything kind of changed a little bit? Well, pre-COVID, um, I had a lot of uh, help from uh, a friend of mine, mm-hmm. and she also had some very um, useful male um, children, adult male children that were, you know, real into the whole organic and, you know, gardening aspect of things. And so I, I had a lot of kind of volunteers mm-hmm. that nice. came out. They weren't they were paid volunteers, but, um, you know, and then like having friends or cousins or, Mm -hmm. you know, people come out. um. Well, talking about needing farmers, you know, our our farmers at average age is something like 55 or 58 years old. Mm -hmm. And so just wanted to um, say in, in um, in addition to producing healthy food, it's also healthy to be outside Work, you know, exercising mm-hmm. and being connected to nature. Yeah, I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard somewhere that um, if you are barefoot in the soil, it will decrease depression. Yeah, the, the soil microbes mm-hmm. in your own biome. Earthing. Yeah. Yeah. And not only, it, you know, it feels good to have mud in your feet. Yeah. <laughs> but since COVID, um, we've really had to... Um, because like some of my friends have moved away and uh, you know gotten other other jobs and so we really had to find find work um and i think mainly facebook yeah facebook is basically the only place we really advertise i tried doing it through indeed Mm -hmm. but i kept getting weird um you know hey i want to work there but they lived in like south africa Mm -hmm. i mean they were just i don't know if they were just fishing attempts or trying to get information from me or yeah it was just it was really yeah it was strange so Mm -hmm. primarily it's through facebook um the biggest misnomer that people think is that they're going to go out to a like garden and just go pick some tomatoes and Mm -hmm. go you know look at the birds and it's like no this is like work work you're going to be busting your butt and Mm -hmm. you're going to be down been over three quarters of the day and you're going to be planting and you're going to be harvesting and, and taking weeding. out crops and yeah. weeding and the sweating yeah oh yeah the, the post-harvest building is one of the more comfortable spots because you're upright all day um, in the shade yeah mm-hmm. you're in the shade you're in a building we have a really modern facility we actually received a uh, covid grant 
at the end of 2020 to build the facility. So it's probably, I would say, the nicest one if the county, if not the whole entire area, because it was custom built specifically for this. This is not a building we retrofitted. Mm -hmm. It was designed specifically for a post-harvest building. He did design it and build a good portion of it Yeah, by himself. So I'm kind of circling back on the on the food side of things. Um, what is the difference on shelf stability from your vegetables to what we would maybe get at the grocery store? So, <coughs> excuse me. So, um, for instance, lettuce, a head of lettuce that you get at the grocery store that probably came from either Mexico or California. So in order for it to, from the time that it got harvested, cut from the land mm -hmm. to the time mm -hmm. that it hit your your plate it could have been on a truck for a week it could have you know so it's already got you know a, um, it's already you know um, starting to die you know it's already on its way to being getting slimy yeah spoilage like yeah, yeah. Um, and so it'll probably only last maybe a couple of days, may, maybe a week if you treat it right in your refrigerator. Um, the stuff that we grow, well, for one, it's um, it only has to travel. I think our farmer's market is maybe five miles from where we are. Mm -hmm. And so it only travels, you know, five miles. I could cut it Friday night and sell it to you Saturday morning, and it's not even a day old. Mm -hmm. um, so right there you've got several days to let it do its thing in your refrigerator and you can think about what you're going to do with it. Um, that also, you know, you, you get a longer shelf life with it. You also get more of the nutrients because as it is slowly dying and kind of wilting, it's losing a lot of its nutrients. Mm -hmm. It's um, to try to keep itself alive, you know. Um, and so if you can get if you can use it and eat it before it loses all of its nutrients, then you're getting more out of it. Um, and so it's also better for you. Mm -hmm. um, does your, your, how you treat the soil, does that also influence the nutrients? Oh, yes. oh, yeah. oh yeah. yeah, I'm real big into the soil science part of it. Mm -hmm. So basically what we try to do is put everything that the plant could possibly need into our soil you know, your usual nitrogen, uh, potassium phosphate, but also all your micronutrients and your macronutrients as well. We mm -hmm. uh, specifically balance them for the base saturation rates, which there's a bunch of science on whether that's really all that much more effective. But my theory is more of we have to keep everything in there that it could want, and then you have the happiest product in the end because it's had everything possibly that it could ever want. So now it's taking up as much as it possibly could. So that's where you get the, the healthier varieties and and we also grow specific varieties that you can't you know that they don't sell on the common market because number one they either don't ship or number two they have no shelf life i mean if, if you're shipping something across the country you've lost half to three quarters of the life of the produce already yeah 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 and i mean soil health especially for for in our situation is key because we're we started out with depleted land that had been depleted for you know at least 50 years if not longer um and so when we started there the dirt was, was light brown real dusty you know 
nothing was in it. You could tell nothing was in it. And over the past, what, this is, will be our sixth season, our sixth season, um, we've got some really dark, healthy-looking soil now. So it, it definitely makes a difference. Um, and, you know, the, the health of the soil is also, um, you know, it, it makes it easier for the plants to drink up the nutrients. And, uh, you know, if you've got all of the organisms and the microorganisms and stuff that are in the soil to break them down into something that the plant can actually eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes it taste so incredibly wonderful. Yeah. I mean, I just eat the turnips just raw. They're so delicious. And the kale and greens. Yeah, you can actually, you can taste the difference. Spinach, absolutely. Yeah. That's why I'm a customer. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of, um, there's there's a word, and I can't remember what it is, um, that vineyards will often use for the the flavor that the land imparts in the wine that goes with any plant. So, you know, the specific makeup of the soil determines a lot of what that plant is going to taste like in the end and what the fruit of that plant will taste like. And so there's there's a lot of work that goes into it um, and a lot of science behind it that I don't quite fully understand, but <laughs> you don't need to as long as you know what you're doing. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, we do get comments from people like our our beets are the best beets they've ever had, and that solely has to do with our soil composition. I mean, mm-hmm. we just have we have a really high uh, they call it a, like a silty clay loam, which is you know everything in the world, but it's got a real high CEC factor, which is cash on exchange capacity. The higher you have, the more stuff it can hold, and the more stuff it puts back into the uh, produce you're growing. Okay. So I think that's where a lot of it comes from. Uh, the other, what I would call the downside of that is, is that I can't grow jalapenos that aren't just stupidly hot <laughs> because they take up so much stuff. I don't know why, but I grow the most mild varieties and I can't eat them. I can go to the grocery store and I can buy the exact same jalapeno and eat it, mm-hmm. but I cannot eat them, any of them other than I grow off my land. I don't okay. know why. It's but it has to do with the soil composition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a humble brag, right? <laughs> <laughs> My soil's just too good, these darn jalapenos. That, it, honestly, it does. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I like our beets. I mean, people just love our beets. That's one okay. thing I'm trying to push harder and more perfect over, okay. the, over the years is just trying to push more beets, more of the root crops. Cause I'll remember that. I'll they just, honestly, they just taste better. How do you see yourselves working within the Topeka community, like especially with the the Central Topeka Grocery Oasis area. Do you see any like evolution happening with that or, or what do you think about that? Well, so right now um, we're doing um, two farmer's markets um, every year. We're doing the Saturday downtown Topeka farmer's market. And then there's also a um, Monday morning farmer's market at the Topeka Shawnee County Public Library. And um, they're both kind of in that same oasis area that we've been talking about. Um, and so it wouldn't be a big leap for me to do an additional um, thing at at, um, at the new store. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I I would love to be able to um, to provide our fresh produce to local low-income housing um, families. Um, you know, there are certain like, so I've signed up with certain um, groups that I can take some forms of um, SNAP or, or uh, food stamps. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, 
you know, I was able to be at a grocery store that was able to take all of the different kinds of food subsidy programs, that would be amazing. Um, because, you know, it's not, it's not cheap mm-hmm. to buy organic. It's not, um, and it's not cheap to grow organic, but there's definitely, um, you know, there's definitely some, um, factors that, you know, you'd want to get organic, you know, so like, say, for instance, you know, somebody has a lot of allergies, then they can't eat the things that are mass produced with all of the herbicides and pesticides and stuff, because Mm -hmm. they just, they can't handle, their system can't handle that. So, you know, they have to eat organic, and that's sometimes really expensive. So if it can be subsidized, you know, then maybe they can, you know, instead of getting just one thing, they can get like three or four things. Mm-hmm. And so they can, you know, broaden their their menu and have a better life. Yeah, I'm sure that they would all appreciate that. Well, back to the farmer's market and you enjoying to talk to people. When I go down to the peak of farmer's market, I immediately look for the big green awning <laughs> and with Arkenberg Farms and I beeline it there and Brianna and I, have a great conversation and I load up as she knows and it's just such a treat and really thankful that you produce such healthy delicious food and I'm also wondering back to um, Central Topeka where you grew up and Robinson Middle School where you went when we were doing the event there in November the principal told me that for career days this year the students chose farming, and they had wow. not done that in the past. This was the first year that they chose farming. So I'm wondering if you would be willing to be a part of that in absolutely. April and yeah. talking to the students and telling them your story. Yeah, I think that absolutely. would be really cool. Um, when we first started the farm and we were kind of like brainstorming and stuff, you know, especially throughout the off season, one of my dreams with the farm is to be an educational farm is to have you know local students um, come out and work and learn um, you know where their food comes from and how it's grown and what all goes into it you know um, and how good they can taste you know especially when you grow it you cultivate it you harvest it you know you take care of that lettuce it's going to taste a lot better than Mm -hmm. one you buy from the store so um you know, and farming is a dying breed. You know, a lot of farmers are aging out and it's up to us, you know, the next generation to continue to grow farmers, you know, not just grow food, but also grow farmers because I'm only going to do this for so long. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, the earlier you can get into, um, the education aspect with the with the students, um, the better because then they will, um, you know, grow up with knowing knowing that and having a love of gardening and and eating what you grow and and so I think that's um, you know the more education, the more information that they have, mm-hmm. the better. You know, like um, one year we had, uh, I think it was maybe second grade, my son was in second grade, and they were doing a farm-to-table, some kind of 
thing at the expo center. There was a farm to table where they kind of taught, showed the kids how pizza is made from the mm-hmm. animal and the grain to the plate. And I said, oh, well, we've got a farm and we're right down the street. So they added us onto their their field trip. And my husband was, um, I ch- showed the kids, you know, about the plants and the different stages, like each week they get bigger and bigger and how kind of how we do that. My husband bored them to death about the soil, mm-hmm. which was actually a really cool mm-hmm. demonstration of, of, of the soil, but the kids were bored to death about it. And then um, I have a friend who had, um, at the time had a petting zoo, mobile petting zoo. So she brought out her goats and bunnies and stuff and the kids had a blast. And oh. and we brought out, our, we had baby chickens at the time. And so we had the baby chickens. So they, they just loved it. Mm-hmm. And I think that was their favorite part of the, of the whole field trip was being on the farm. And um, we just haven't been able to do that since because, you know, COVID had happened and kind of yeah. things, things change. Um, but I'd love to get back to that. And I'd love to team up with, um, different education, you know, anywhere from grade school all the way up through um, university level um, students. Um, I just haven't gotten there yet. It's the next thing. Yeah, it's... it's <laughs> Maybe two things. Yes. Yeah, yeah last uh, last year I had uh, the Cub Scouts from Pack 18 come out. Just, let's see, they're the tigers, I believe, because they do a grow something where they have to grow something, they have to go yeah. visit a farm. Okay. So I, I did a tour with them. Uh, my son was previously part of pack 18 so they knew who to call mm-hmm. <laughs> but we, we do a little grow your own microgreen kits so i gave each one of them one of those and then went around the farm we picked a bunch of stuff and brought it up into the post harvest building and kind of rinsed it off a little bit and i threw it on the drying rack and dried it off and then everybody just kind of tasted it and i was rather surprised what they'd eat i mean I, they, they're really having fun doing it it was mm-hmm. a little 45 minute tour maybe yeah you'll be but surprised it, at how much a kid of will eat a, a leaf of kale if they pick it themselves mm-hmm. yeah but no, I've always wanted to get more into that too. I mean, that's that's where the whole educational part comes from. That's kind of the reason why I've always tried to do a sunflower field and the U pick out there is just mm-hmm. is to try to bring more people out. Unfortunately, we sit so far off the road, you can't just see us. Mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest obstacle because you got to drive up this big, long, scary driveway and go through two tree lines, and finally you start seeing stuff. It's not, it's mm-hmm. not that bad at all. But, but yeah, it's not, you can't see it from the road. And most people are like, oh, there's sunflowers. I want to stop and see them. Well, you can't really see it. And the way we do our sunflower fields a little different from a traditional sunflower field. It's cover cropped. And so there's not bare dirt. You're not walking around in between rows of sunflowers with bare dirt. You're walking on cow peas and buckwheat and mm-hmm. clover. And, and so, you know, you're not going to get money. Yeah, you're not going to get a shoe full of dirt. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah and I always go through, and we cut a trail through there, so there's a way to walk through the field itself. And then people will start to make trails where they kind of mm-hmm. jump off and take pictures. And yeah. Last year was not too impressive because it didn't rain in between July and September, mm-hmm. but typically we get a pretty good stand where they're you know four or five foot tall. And the great thing about having the uh, cowpeas out there is they produce the nitrogen for the sunflower, so we do not have to pre-fertilize. It's just you got to prep it and get it ready. Mm-hmm. Go out there with a spreader, spread your seed, and drag it, and then just let it do its thing. Yeah. And sunflowers, uh, one thing, and this goes back to the education part, is there are different plants that do different things for your ground. Sunflowers um, are kind of like sponges. They will soak up a lot of bad things in the soil. Um, and you know, capture them so that. Um, and there's there are other crops that will do that as well. But um, but yeah, it, it kind of cleans 
the mm-hmm. land. I've heard sunflowers break up compaction, too. Yes, yeah, that's like, another, yeah. Like daikon radishes. Yes, and that's one of the things that we do with our high rotation of crops um, in our in our market garden um, is one of the things is radishes. So the radishes will help kind of aerate and break up soil compaction and stuff because they are a root and they will, so any, basically any root vegetable, but the mm-hmm. radishes grow really quickly. Um, and so they fit into that crop rotation with the other things. And um, this will be a long episode. You might have to up- upload it in a couple pieces. <laughs> um, but I love talking to you guys and I think you're so interesting and I can't wait to see more and see what you're doing. And um, what are you doing this year? You're doing a lot of Mother Earth News Fairs. You're also doing classes in Lawrence. And where else can people find you? Um, let's see. This past uh, December and let's see, August or September, the Mother Earth News Fair, or, well, Mother Earth News, was mm-hmm. putting on a Sustainability Saturdays. I did um, two okay. classes up there. One was over winter gardening. And the other was over um, garden planning. Uh, that the garden planning is kind of where I'm looking towards maybe actually writing a book on as well. Cool. Um, kind of adapting, almost like the square foot type gardening to market gardening, and laying out basically a plan and a way of acting for the average home gardener to take an area and actually market garden in it, but not market garden in it. If mm-hmm. that makes any sense. Because the, the great thing about the mark gardening technique is that you can grow way too much food way too easily. That, so that's... In a very small space. That, that's the main point of pushing that. Um, other than that, I will be in uh, Mother Earth News Fair. We'll be in Belton, Texas in February. It'll be in Lawrence, Kansas in April. I pulled up the dates here. Let me... So Belton, Texas, February 18th and 19th. Lawrence, Kansas, April 29th and 30th. Erie, Pennsylvania, July 15th and 16th, and West Bend, Wisconsin, September 16th and 17th. Okay, good. They got the Wisconsin one up there finally. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I, the Texas one, I'm only doing two presentations, but I might be setting up a uh, Farmer's Friend Caterpillar Tunnel with them as well, which will be a workshop. I've still got to talk to them about that. The other three I should be speaking at twice a day. Okay. So I'll have four presentations at each of those. Cool. And then other than that, um, YouTube channel, um, just Google Farmer Keith or go to the YouTube page, Farmer Keith, be sure and like and subscribe. Mm-hmm. That's how I get my followers. Uh, I do a lot of cool stuff on there. Basically, the premise of the channel originally was uh, DIY, DIY Farmer Keith. I never liked having the DIY in front of me, but somebody already stole the Farmer Keith part, gotcha. which I was able to steal back. But I do a, almost everything I've built out there, I have a video on it. Okay. So all the projects I've done, you know, all the techniques we use, literally everything is there. I could be ripped off and my farm could be put out of business so easily because of it, but mm-hmm. you'd also have to watch uh, over 200 videos, so. Okay, but also, you know, you're gonna make the world a better place if people are duplicating what you're doing. Th- that's over that's over the whole over. goal, yeah. is to actually spread it, because there's a lot of, um, you know, I paid for, well, we paid for uh, consultants before. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been parts of other classes, of other small farms, uh, online classes, and they cost a lot of money. So I have basically taken all of my knowledge and put it out there for free. And it's for anybody to use. All the techniques are there. The majority of it's super simple. Mm-hmm. And it goes down the premise of you don't know what you don't know, but when somebody tells you, you're like, why didn't I know that? Yeah, right. It just kind of clicks into place. I'm definitely a like, face-to-face audible 
learner. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and then right now I'm starting to put together some more educational stuff through our website as well. Um, I've got spreadsheets and things right now that other farmers use. Mm -hmm. uh, majority of them are free. I've got a couple there, you know, a couple dollars here and there. I hate it, no yeah. Nothing crazy expensive. And then I'm tr going to probably start putting together some more of like courses through it as well, where you just purchase a course and it's very specific content that's mm -hmm. not spread all over, you know, 200 different videos. But I, I want to keep all that affordable. I mean, how, how I, do you prefer people reach out to you? Sorry to cut you off. Uh, the best way to reach out to us is either through um, email, um, go through arkenbergfarms.com, or contact through the YouTube page. That's another good way as well. Okay. I mean, we've also got Facebook, so we can reach out through the farm through Facebook or my personal account. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Kansas Rural Center Presents. Thank you again to our co-host, Jackie Keller. And most of all, thank you to Brianna and Keith Arkenberg for letting us interview you for this episode. To find out more about Kansas Rural Center and our work, visit kansasruralcenter.org. And please feel free to join the mailing list and engage in our socials. Like and share this episode with friends and let us know if there's something you'd like to see featured in our podcast feed in the future. Please reach out to us at media at kansasruralcenter.org. If you would like to support our continued efforts to advance an economically viable, ecologically sound, and socially just food and farming system in Kansas, please visit our donation page, kansasruralcenter.org donate. Have a great day.